Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, uh, for one final week, uh, once again to the book of Esther, Esther chapter nine, Esther chapter nine. It was about eight weeks ago uh, that we began our study of this Old Testament book, uh, this tale of a young Jewish girl who became queen, a tale of an unknown Jew who became second in command to the most powerful man in the known world. The account of the salvation of a people through the weakness of the two of them, this young Jewish girl and her cousin, but also and and more importantly, by the mighty powerful hand of a loving God who ordered the events of our world, both large and small, to accomplish his purposes, both large and small. And the biggest and best result of this salvation that was accomplished through the book of Esther was that the Jews survived and therefore Jesus will come. And of course, we're on the other side now of that history, rejoicing in the fact that Jesus has come. And so today, I'm genuinely sad that we are closing uh, this book, that we are looking at this final chapter and, um, and uh, doing so for the last time, at least for a while. But as we do so together this morning, I wanna remind us, and I think the text reminds us, Uh, to keep it close. Yes, the the saga is over, but don't just put the book of Esther or, or what we've talked about on the shelf because Esther is a picture of our lives and it's a part of our story and I hope to remind us of that this morning. And so listen as I read Esther chapter nine, verses 20 through the end of the book, verse three of chapter 10. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies." And as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamandatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, cast lots to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term poor. 
Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, and at their in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to the fasts and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are, not, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with a multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I want to begin this morning with a question. It's a bit of a trivia question. I want to ask you if you could, in your mind, of course, can you name and give the reasons why we celebrate the 10 federal holidays in the United States of America? Think through in your mind if you can think of all 10 federal holidays. We'll we'll skip the obvious ones like New Year's and the 4th of July, but let's roll through a few. So January 20th, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, where we celebrate and remember and think about his life and achievement towards equality. Then what's the next one in our federal calendar of holidays in this nation, in this time and place? February 17th, which is President's Day. Now this was a tricky one because President's Day is actually officially George Washington's birthday. Though his birthday is not February 17th, it's I believe February 22nd. George Washington, of course, was our first president, and this was a federal holiday originally set up in the 1800s to celebrate our first president and his accomplishments for this country. But it got moved by Nixon back in the 70s, and now it sits between George Washington's birthday and Abraham Lincoln's birthday, and so now it's called President's Day though it's not President's Day, it's George Washington's birthday. So that's your little American history trivia for the day. 
We have all these holidays, right? Veterans Day, Labor Day. Labor Day's tomorrow. What do we celebrate in Labor Day? Labor Day, we celebrate the achievements of the American worker, whatever that means. I know you'll set some time aside to do that tomorrow in some form. Later this week, we will hear two words that we hear every time this time of year. The two words are never forget. Never forget. As we come as a nation to that infamous day of September 11th, those words become clear. Well, why am I talking about federal holidays? I think you probably know where I'm going with this. Why so many holidays? Why so why such a need for all of these reminders? For days off of work, well, yes, for some of us, that's important. But more importantly, we're forgetful people. We move on. We, we get distracted. And this is not good. We need to remember our nation, our leaders in this nation recognize this. And as a people of God, it's that much more Important because we in the church, to our spiritual detriment, so easily fall into spiritual amnesia. And so, this passage today, that's what this passage is about. It's about the remedy to spiritual amnesia. It's a very simple passage in a lot of ways with a, a simple point, one that I hope that you have been led to, one that your heart has been drawn to as we have gone through the liturgy this morning from the call to worship and the call to remember the works of our God, to the confession of our forgetfulness, to the fact of the gospel assurance that he remembers our sins no more. We close this book thinking about one simple truth, and it's this. Brothers and sisters, remember the rest that God has provided. Remember the rest that God has provided. In other words, don't forget this story. Don't forget what has happened here. And not only that, but but celebrate this story. Celebrate what has happened here because accomplished rest causes us to rejoice. Salvation demands celebration. That's what this passage is about. It's simply about remembering. Let's jump back in and talk a little bit about what's going on here specifically. Our passage begins in verse 20 with Mordecai essentially journaling, right? He is essentially writing down all that has happened with with the Jews over these past years. And if, if you haven't been part of this study, if you're just now jumping in this week, well, you've missed quite a ride. Because after this irreversibly planned genocide of the people of Israel, through an amazing series of of subtle providences, including a crazy backstory of a beauty pageant and the right people being in the right place at the right time, pleasing just the right people, the reverse occurred. 
And that's the statement that we focused our hearts on last week. The reverse occurred. This is an incredibly powerful statement. And because the reverse occurred, our narrator describes poignantly in verse 22, the Jews got relief from their enemies. After all that we saw with all the providences of the book of Esther, the Jews got relief from their enemies. And this, my friends, is, this is a long-standing intention of Yahweh for his people. To give them rest. Whether they're in a place that's not their home, like the Jews in the ancient Persian Empire, And certainly, when they come to a place that he has for them, Deuteronomy 12, verse 10, Moses said to God's people, when you go over the Jordan, this was years, generations before Esther, and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety. You see, here was God's people in a land under the grip of a pagan king. And dramatically, at least for a time, redemption has come to them and they can rest. They can rest. And God's people, when they experience this in the book of Esther, they they spontaneously rejoice. They jump into spontaneous celebration and it mirrors what happens in Exodus 15 as God brings his people through the Red Sea and then Moses leads them in this chorus of praise and this song to to their God. And in fact, by this time in history, God's people had long celebrated not only the salvation given to them from the Egyptians, but A number of feasts had been divinely commanded by God through Moses as part of their calendar. And you can read about them in Leviticus chapter 23. There was the weekly Sabbath. There was the feast of the Passover. There was the feast of the first fruits, the feast of weeks, the feast of trumpets and booze, and of course, the day of atonement. See, built into the fabric of their days, into their calendar, Yahweh wanted to make sure that his people always remembered the rest that he had provided. And so as we close the book of Esther and as we come to the latter half of chapter nine and into verse or into chapter 10, what we have here is the codifying of a new feast. But it's one that's not ordainly given or divinely given through the mouth of a prophet, but it's one that just flows from the joy of a people and is in turn ordered by a queen and her cousin. And we say, who would have thought (laughs) from an unknown Jewish teenager to a queen to establishing perpetual holidays for her people for all time? And as we read about them establishing this new feast day for the people of God in order that God's people might remember the rest that they have been given, Mordecai and Esther are not messing around. Verse 21 says Mordecai obligated them to keep this day. 
Verse 29, the queen confirmed it with her authority. And then the people responded in kind. And in verse 27, it says the people obligated themselves to it, that they would then pass it down to future generations. And so what is it? It's the feast of Purim. The feast of Purim. Nepurim is not an Hebrew word. The word poor is one that came into the Hebrew language probably through the Assyrian language, but it means lots or it means die, as in dice. And specifically, it refers back to chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, the casting of lots, the rolling of dice that was done before Haman as he tried to determine what day would be the day of genocide for God's people. And God's people focused on that event. They focused on that word because the remembering of that day was particularly sweet. Why? Because of the three words we looked at last week. The reverse occurred. The reverse occurred. And so Mordecai wants to ensure that this isn't forgotten. And so he sends letters with the authority endowed him. Remember, he has the signet ring of the king and he recounts the story and he orders and outlines the celebration that will happen now and for all time for God's people, the Jews. And if you were paying close attention as I read, verse 25 is interesting because verse 25 we We hear this, when it came before the king, he gave orders. We who know the story, who've walked through the story, we say, what? King King Ahasuerus had nothing to do with the salvation of the Jews. But notice it doesn't say the name of the king. It's almost as if the narrator, knowing that this would be in the annals of history, gives this nod to this anonymous king that those who are reading it from a secular perspective say, ah, yes, that's King Ahasuerus. But those who read it with the eyes of faith know that the hidden king, the true king, was behind all of it. And indeed, he reigns. And he rules and he ordered circumstances in such a way to bring about the salvation of his people. David's song in Psalm 124 comes to mind. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. God's people must remember. And so every spring, the Jewish nation still celebrates Purim. One author, one modern author, as I was doing a little bit of research and reading on it, One author describes it as a little bit of Mardi Gras, Easter, and Halloween all rolled into one. There's feasting, often accompanied by a carnival-like atmosphere. There's baskets of food that are made to give away. And at the center of the celebration of Purim is the reading of this book. The entire account is read aloud. And when it's read aloud, Mordecai, every time Mordecai's name appears, 
everyone who's listening cheers and every time Haman's name is mentioned, there are boos and hisses and stomps and the shaking of rattles to drown out his name. And this is for the kids as well because they want to remember and never forget the rest that God has provided. And so what does this have to do with us? Here we sit in the year 2020, most of us not Jews. We are the new covenant people of God. Well, I don't think the application of this passage is to celebrate the Feast of Purim as it's outlined here before us. I don't think necessarily it would be a a sin to do so, a sin for a Christian to do so, but that's not what the Bible is calling us to do. We're certainly called to remember these things, to read Esther often, which is what we have done over the past eight weeks, to press into it and to think about it, but just like Passover, just like the Day of Atonement, just like even the Feast of Booths, all these Old Testament feasts find their fulfillment in Jesus. Because Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain. He was the atoning sacrifice for sin. He is the one, thinking about the Feast of Booze, He is the one who has come to dwell among us, to make his home with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And therefore, as we think about the Feast of Purim, Jesus is the one who gives us rescue and rest from our enemies. What does he say? From his own mouth, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And brothers and sisters, those aren't empty words, but because of his death and his resurrection, They're proved to be true. And our last enemy, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that last enemy of death has been dealt a decisive blow. So we don't even have to fear death because of Jesus. So while participating and celebrating in in this feast of Purim is not necessarily what we're called to do. We are called to remember the rest that has been accomplished for us in Jesus. Which is why the Lord has given us, the church, the means to remember, not just to put on a calendar, but as the Jews did here, to abide in, to oblige ourselves to, to ensure that the next generation knows and practices these things as well. What are those new covenant means? Let's start here. The Bible. The book of memorial. Not just information to be mastered and and to be put on a shelf to be forgotten about, but a conversation with the living God where we weekly, daily, remind ourselves of his promises and his truth for us. How about this day? 
this 24-hour period, the Lord's Day, we call it. We call it the Lord's Day because this is our weekly memorial of the resurrection. For the Jews, the Sabbath was Saturday, Friday sundown till Saturday sundown. Why isn't it for us? Because we don't celebrate the Sabbath. We celebrate the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection, the day of life beyond the grave. And with the Lord's Day comes the Lord's table, this weekly memorial feast of his atoning sacrifice that reminds us of the feast to come. And with the Lord's Day and with the feast comes the church, the family of God, the brothers and sisters, those whom we are called to feast with, those whom we're called even in our brokenness, even in our struggle with sin, to rejoice and to long for the fullness that is to come. And we, as the new covenant people of God, as the church, we, like the Jews of old in the Feast of Purim, it's not all inward. There is an outward element as we do good to those around us. As we give with generous hearts what has been given us. As we invite others to come and to experience the life and the joy that we know. Brothers and sisters, I know this is a simple point. To remember the rest that has been accomplished for you in Jesus. To press into these means that God has given. But some of you need to press into these things more. Because you're caught up in the rat race. Or you're consumed by the cultural conversation and controversies of our day and you're letting them rule you. You're letting them rule your heart. And I want to call you, God wants to call you. He wants to lift your eyes beyond what you presently see to what has already been done and to how that guarantees what will come. That is what the Feast of Purim teaches us. But that's not where our passage ends, is it? We have almost this oddly placed three-verse postscript that makes up one chapter, chapter 10. I didn't check, but it's probably the shortest chapter in the Bible, I would assume. Why is chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 here? Well, I think it's interesting because chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 is, in a sense, it's a return to normal life. Right? We have been swept in this, swept up into this incredible story of Esther and Mordecai and God's providence through them. And now God's salvation has been accomplished. And now, chapter 10, verse 1, King Ahasuerus is still on the throne. He's still imposing taxes on his people probably to his own advantage and for his own personal gain. And and in many ways, nothing had changed, right? It's a fitting reminder that these things, that this remembering, that this Feast of Purim is happening in the midst of everyday life, in the midst of the longing for what is still to come, 
As the theologians say, we are living in the already, but there is a not yet that we long for. And so as our book concludes, there's a sense of normalcy. And yet, there's also a recognition that everything has changed. Because Mordecai has been put in place by Yahweh to care for his people. Yahweh, through human agency, is caring for his people. Brothers and sisters, these things are true for us as well. And our commitment this morning must be the commitment expressed in Deuteronomy 6, way back in the giving of the law, where Moses said to his people, take care lest you forget the Lord. Take care, lest you forget the Lord. You can forget the sermon titles. You can forget the stories and the sermon points. But don't forget Esther. Don't forget the God that you saw here. Don't forget the Jesus who it all pointed to. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this incredible story. Which we have loved exploring and thinking more deeply about and being reminded of of things that many of us know and yet so easily forget. Oh God, I pray that as we close this chapter in our life together, that indeed we would go from this place with added urgency and desire to press into the means that you have given us to remember and to not forget. Oh, Father, we need your grace, and we ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.